Awesome. Thank you, Robbie. That was great. I love that passage in Ephesians chapter chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship. And I'm going to move this away so I don't get too much feedback. Ephesians 2, verse 10, we are his poem. So I'm really excited about the fact that uh, we're celebrating the July 4th weekend. Did anybody get any day off? For July 4th, anybody? You can raise your hand. Yes! Some people, and then there's other people that didn't get any day off because your boss is in sin. And, um, right? And, and so I was thinking about that. I was thinking, wasn't it nice? Well, for me, I'll just speak for me. It was really nice to, to have Friday off. I did have to do a, a wedding rehearsal in, down in Walterboro with some people uh, down there on Friday. But it was great to have a, a time off. It was nice to celebrate uh, independence uh, in our country. And, and all that, and it was really nice that I didn't have to work. I would like to say that I was really excited to celebrate our, our country and, and get excited, uh, but I was more excited not to work. I just confess that to you. I don't know if that was you. I'm not trying to be ungrateful. I mean, I know we have a Peru team right now. They're in Peru, and if you've seen it on Facebook and you've seen some of those videos, you've seen that um, I don't know how much they are doing a great job sharing the, the Lord and the gospel, but they're having a fun time doing it. They have their own even uh, celebration, July 4th celebration, if you want to look at that. It's pretty interesting. You'll probably say, I'll never send uh, my family on mission with someone again. But other than that, it'll be okay. So we're looking at this... um this, this day off and the Lord, I was just kind of reflecting on that. And then there was a, a lady that uh, shared with me a statistic. Uh, she's, a, she's a brilliant lady and she's well-educated. She said that 60% of all the people in America right now in the latest poll hate what they're doing. D- did you hear that? Or some of you, did you just give me a solemn amen or did you just look at me wrong? Now, some of you, 60% of all Americans hate their job. And I thought to myself, you, you know, uh, self, that's, that's an amazing statistic because uh, what do I mean by that? Is that some people, some people uh, work uh, so they can make money and then do what they want to do on their free time. Uh, you can put it this way. Some people work to live. Yeah, you've heard that before, right? Some people work to live. They work to make their money, so then when they're off, they can kind of really live their life. And I thought about that, and I, I just paused and reflected on that, and I said, Lord, I, I really don't want that to be me. I mean, I was so excited about having a day off. Uh, well, and like I said, I didn't really take the whole day off, but just having time, like going to the beach early that day with my family, is that, I, I don't know if that's really the right way to live. If that I'm just so excited that I could just have a little bit of time off, shouldn't my life be so captivated by you, Lord, that I would just long to do whatever you've called me to do? Uh, in other words, other people live to work because work becomes their identity, and then other people work to live. And, and so I started thinking and really reflecting on that and said, Lord, how can we be satisfied? How can we really be satisfied? We're in this series, Why Doesn't God Move? How can we really be satisfied? And the Lord was showing me, said, John, the only way that you're ever going to be satisfied, the only way you're ever going to be satisfied in this world is to let me lead you in everything that you do. Just let me lead you. In other words, uh, you know when God is moving, when we become content wherever God places us. 
I started thinking about, why don't we see God move? So these big movements of God, like people being raised from the dead, and, and you know, the, the, the sick are healed, and the blind see, and all that stuff is phenomenal in the Lord. But there's, there's, there's these other miracles that we don't see, and what those miracles are is really being satisfied where God has you. I struggled in this sermon series because I, I, wanted to, I wanted to actually name it something else, like, don't lose your way. Sometimes we get so caught up in life, we get so caught up in the things, you know what you've got, you know the bills to pay, you know the deadlines, you know what it, you're trying to do with your life, the education that you're in, the graduate from high school, whatever these things you want to do. Everybody's got this agenda that they want to do, and then they think, okay, I've accomplished this, it gives me some satisfaction, now let me go to the next big thing so I can gather more satisfaction. And the Lord was showing me, John, the only way to ever really see me move is to be content right where you are. Now, I didn't say content meaning I don't do anything else, but content in the fact that God has me right where he wants me. So don't lose your way. Don't lose your way today in the Lord. Don't get so caught up in everything else that we really forget what God has. Here's the point I want to make today. This is all on Facebook at Summit Church. It's all on summitcharleston.com. It's on the church's website under uh, sermon notes. You can just click on it. It comes right up. Here's the point. The only way to be satisfied or to experience true enjoyment is to let Jesus lead us in everything we do. I forgot today. Man, I was going to have people come down blowing bubbles. Do you like bubbles? Did you not watch Nemo? Literally, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's like blowing bubbles. I'll never forget, I had a um, professor at the seminary I went to. He's a brilliant man. He's blind. He's blind. He's been blind since birth. This guy is a genius. And he would get up and he was preaching one time. And he was talking about Ecclesiastes. And he had this guy walk down the aisle blowing bubbles. And I thought, this, my, this professor's blind. Does he not see that there's a guy blowing bubbles? Like he has no clue. We're all watching this guy blow bubbles as he's talking. And he had it played out. Because he said, that's really what Ecclesiastes talks about. That uh, without God... Our life you just blow one bubble and it looks beautiful and then you go to the next and if we're not careful that's what our lives will be without Jesus the only way to experience true enjoyment is to let Jesus lead us into everything we do Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 17 phone Bibles iPad I don't know what you got memorization you're smart I don't know Ecclesiastes you go John where is that in Scripture the easiest way to get there is take your Bible, just open it up in the middle. I'm dead serious. Like, you're close if you do that. Um, Thinking around Psalms, you're right there. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I want us to look at something. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In, in this idea of what is it like to find true enjoyment and experience this deep satisfaction when Jesus leads you. In, in other words, you know, what is our life like without Jesus leading us? Let's look at, let's kind of read through and look at the context. And we're going to look at some areas. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17. So this is Solomon. Most scholars have debated this. The, the Koloheth, the, the teacher or the preacher, uh, I believe is Solomon, writes this. He says, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. It's a pretty big statement. All of it is meaningless, a chasing 
after the wind. Now, for those that are in the 70s, don't fall back to that song. Okay, I know who you are. Verse 18, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. Some of us can get a witness to that, right? This too is meaningless. He keeps saying the same thing over and over. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. Here we go. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. This is the key. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness but to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plan, plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the, on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He, also, he has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. And then verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Let's pray. Lord, this is deep and rich and even for the wisest man outside of Jesus, 
who I believe Solomon wrote this, Lord, even for the wisest man outside of your precious son, Father, life was a struggle to understand without you. So my prayer is this, that whatever we do, that we would find the satisfaction and enjoyment because you are leading us. Not because of a day off, not because we're celebrating some tremendous event that has affected our lives, but God, that you would bring purpose and direction in everything. That is you moving. So may we rejoice in you. May you speak, Lord. Here I am, Lord. You know that I bring nothing to the table. May everyone see the power of Jesus. May you give glory and honor to yourself today. Forgive us, Lord, that so we can hear you clearly. In Jesus' name, we all said what? Amen. So, what is our work and hobbies without Jesus? If you like athletics, if you like academics, if you like languages, if you like your family, if you like your job, if you like your career, whatever you're aspiring to be or aspiring to do or don't even know what to do, what is a hobby? What is work without Jesus? Solomon, I believe, like the teacher, the preacher, looks at this and he says, I'm trying to figure this out. He's trying to take wisdom and try to figure out what is life without Jesus. What is, what is our work? What are hobbies without Jesus? I mean, it's absolutely nothing without Jesus. But I know what some of you are saying, but John, if I was just like, picture a great athlete, or if I was just as wealthy as... Picture somebody who has billions of dollars. Or John, if I just had their life. You know, Jesus gave an example of a rich man and a guy named Lazarus. And he says, at the very end, walking into eternity, one was in the bosom of Abraham and the other one, other one was in hell. You know, at the end of it, one hound on earth had a very difficult life. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The other one was super wealthy, had everything he wanted, and as they go into eternity, the roles were reversed. Because without Jesus, everything is meaningless. And so hobbies and goals and work and anything that you can aspire to be, you think, my life will just happen if I just get a, a girlfriend. Or my life will happen if I just get... Listen, I want to tell you, in the end, all of that will mean nothing because when you are dying, your spouse cannot enter into eternity with you. But only Jesus. And it doesn't matter what other people have. It matters if you have the presence of God in your life. Look, I know you're saying, but John, if I just have what this person has, look back at chapter 2, verse 4. Let's, let's kind of, I, I think the, the teacher who wrote this is asking the same question. If I just had what somebody else had, if I had their looks, their job, their career, their life, just put yourself in that situation. Look at verse 4. I undertook great projects. Some of you in here are builders and you love the creativity aspect. I took great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. Oh, I want a bigger kitchen and oh, I want a bigger house and I'd like to have this and I'd like to have that. But in the end, this man is left empty. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Super wealthy. Lifestyle of the rich and famous in Jerusalem. 
I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. In other words, he was reflecting on all this stuff. Because we know that Solomon had asked for wisdom and God allowed him to be the wisest man outside of Jesus on this earth. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Nothing. In other words, whatever it is I wanted, I went after. I mean, it's kind of like us, right? I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, when he had stopped back and he had began to ponder and look, and he said, okay, this is all I've done, and what I've told to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. In the end, nothing else mattered. He looked back after having all this stuff, like us saying, John, if I just had, listen, I'm going to tell you something, I would do a better job with many billionaires' money, I would do it than they would. You give me Bill Gates' money, I'll do a better job than him. I'll just go ahead and say that. And you would too, wouldn't you? Go ahead. We'd all like to, right? I'm, I'm not saying that God is opposed to the rich. I'm just saying probably God hasn't called me to be rich. Which saddens me because I would give you cash. If I was a billionaire right now, you would look under your seat and every one of you would have a million dollars. You didn't even say amen to that. You are sin. Are you awake today? I just said you would have had a million dollars. Think that, yeah. Yes, Ricky, think about it. You can own your own football team. You don't have to worry about anything. Think about it. You do what you want. If we had, listen, if you had all that money, life would be so much easier. But here's the problem with it. Every person I'm around that's on their deathbed I never hear them asking and talking about cash. Never. Oh, I hear the family fighting about cash. Tell the truth, shame the devil. You know I'm telling the truth. There's even some family members wishing people would hurry up and die so they could get their hands on it. Now, you know I'm telling the truth. Y'all know, because some of y'all might be related to some of them people. You know who I'm talking about. People like that. People, people don't like that. And it's not about that at all. What I'm trying to say is this, is that I'm trying to paint a picture that the Lord wants me to express to you today that if that Jesus walking with us and leading us and us being with him, if he can become more satisfying than us having a billion dollars in the bank, then what happens is our lives will have meaning and purpose. Uh, whose name is on this chapel? Who are they? You have no idea besides them pictures you've seen out there front. Do, do you? They, they, they gave a lot of money for this place. Do y'all know? First Baptist Varnville. Does anybody know where Varnville is? I know you know. The Estel area. You know what I'm saying? Wade Hampton down that area. My point being this. Is that you can give all the money you want to some super project. And have your name on something. But in the end. If Jesus is not glorified in it. It means nothing. 
Nobody knows and cares about the name of the buildings they walk into. Outside of family members, come on, let's be honest. Let's be nobody. Some of y'all didn't even know what the name of this building was. You just came in it. You don't even know who those pictures are. You just walk past and look at this picture and go, well, he kind of looks frumpy. You know, you don't know what, you know, right? You just, we're just looking at it. It means nothing. The Lord is the one who gives the answers. The Lord does it. Eventually, everything we do will be for someone else. Look down at verse 17. So this is why the teacher said, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. Why was it grievous? Because somebody else is going to get what you work for. Somebody else is going to get your home. Somebody else is going to get your property. I know you might be young saying, I just want a home and I just want some property. Here's the thing. When you get it, it won't ever be enough. You'll just want whatever. You'll watch HGTV till your eyeballs fall out. You'll watch Flip This House and Dream It's Your House. You'll watch Property Virgins. Oh, did he say virgin? Yes, I did. This is Summit. Y'all are at Summit. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You'll watch that and you'll, oh my word, if I could just be first time home buying this. Listen, you can have all that, but without Jesus in your home, your home will literally be a place of hell. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. I'm going to go on this side. It will literally be a place of hell without Jesus. It will be rough. It will be, there won't be love. There won't be kindness. There won't be forgiveness there. You know what it'll be. You can have all the chandeliers that you want. You can have everything you want, but without Jesus. Why do we love Scrooge so much? Do do y'all know what I'm talking about when I tell you about Scrooge and, you know, Christmas Carol? Why, Why do we love it? Why do we love Tiny Tim? Because in that poor house, there was kindness and love and family more than all that wealth could buy. What I'm trying to say is this. Wealth can bring you many pleasures, but it cannot bring you everlasting joy. That's the problem with this. Everything we do is for someone else. Look there in 2.18. I hated all the things I toil for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. So we spend all our years, we spend all our lives, everything for what? If I, I tell my, my children all the time, my son especially, I said, if you spend all your time on your athletics and Jesus is not a part of it, in the end, when your ability goes away and Lord willing you get older, you have nothing to show for it. I tell them all the time, make difference while you're in high school, middle school. Make a difference for Jesus Christ while you're in new school. Make a difference while you're at your job. Make a difference for Jesus because the lasting impression you will leave will be the presence of Jesus. It means nothing that you graduate from high school and you get a diploma if you don't do anything for the Lord. It means nothing. It means your whole high school was about you. This is why I'm saying today, don't lose your way. We get so caught up in what we have to do in life and the finances and the bills. And yes, we do have to pay our bills. Yes, the, I understand it. The, you know, the, the bar, the, the, the bar is, a, is a slave to the lender. 
I got what Proverbs says. I get it. But I know this in the very end, if we do not release the presence of Jesus where we are, it's going to be absolutely meaningless in the end. You can have that happiness in the middle of it, but in the end when it's all said and done, nobody will remember. There'll be no impact. I love what this one author said. Humans cannot by all their striving achieve anything of ultimate or enduring significance. Nothing appears to be going anywhere and, and people cannot by uh, all their efforts break out of this caged treadmill. They cannot fundamentally change anything without Jesus. So what are our work or hobbies without Jesus? They are meaningless. They are nothing. You will spend all that you have and you will give it to somebody else. You will spend the best years of your life and you'll give it to somebody else. Without releasing the presence of Jesus to your grandchildren and to your children or to your friends at your school or wherever it might be or to the person that you're dating, wherever it is, it will be absolutely meaningless. 1 Corinthians 13 is right. If I surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Jump in front of a car. Save a life. If it's not done for the glory of God, yes, it's heroic, yes, it's beautiful, and yes, we should do it, but it, in the end, once those people pass, nobody will remember. There will not be an everlasting effect. Well, what are the stages in life without Jesus? Go back to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Life comes in stages, by the way. So here's what's interesting. We got some people today that are young. We got some people today that are, you know, 20s and 30s. We got middle age. We got people that are older. I mean, life comes in stages, and in different stages, things happen in our lives. And the Lord wanted me to share that with you today. And you see these stages. What are the stages in life without Jesus? Look at these stages. Look at the things that happen. Look at, look at verse 2. There's a time to be born and a time to die. In other words, let's put, it, let's put it in today's vernacular. There are times when we give birth to things in our life. And there are times when it, things are over. There are times you begin a vacation. There are times that you end a vacation. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to settle down. There's another time to start over. I love what he says there in, in verse 4. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. At 2 o'clock yesterday, I'm officiating a funeral for a 30-year-old man who died with the remote in his hand, who's an army medic. And at 5 o'clock, I'm officiating a wedding. I mean, those two situations juxtaposed. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And those are the things that happen. The life comes in stages. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And I experienced all that yesterday within a matter of about a four-hour window. I love, I love verse 6. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Now, for all of the hoarders in the room, I'm sorry. I just want, I'm sorry, you don't have to point people out. If you're married, you don't have to start nudging people. Your, your roommates, don't start nudging and getting a call. And, and, you know, we do have to forgive. But there's a time to throw away. 
my house, the saddest day in the world is when we throw away food out of the refrigerator. I cry. Because that's my hoarding. I, I will hoard anything. Especially if you give it to me food. Uh, there's a, verse 7, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent. I don't like that one. And a time to speak. And then there's a time to love. And then there's a time to hate. And he's referring obviously there to hating sin. See, life comes in stages. But you know why we struggle with stages? This is why we struggle. There's things we don't want to end. Does anybody want their vacation to end? No. I would love that I could retire and all I could do is just sit here and just pastor and minister and do this, all this for free and just, I mean, just for the Lord, just, I, I, you know, just be a dream come true. But see, life comes in stages, but we don't want stages to end. Why is that, John? Why? Look down at verse, verse 11. He, referring to God, has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set... What's the next word? I didn't hear you. What? Why do you... He has set the term. We don't, we don't want things to end. But, but things, come in, things come to an end. And they come for two reasons. The first reason is this. Some things come to an end. Some stages we experience, we experience this immediate beauty. Verse 11. Look at it. He has made everything beautiful in its time. There are certain stages in our life that, that, that that's when things become beautiful. The word beautiful there means appropriate. It means fitting. Uh, in other words, without Jesus, things don't make sense. He makes things beautiful in its time. Sometimes we, we don't understand what we're going through right now. But in the end, we look back and we go... I understand. Uh, here's an example. As for y'all that are in high school, you have no idea why geometry makes sense. For some of us, we don't either. But nonetheless, you have no idea. And then all of a sudden, you take your SAT, and it's on your SAT. And you go, why do I have to take these standardized tests? It makes no sense, nothing. And then all of a sudden, that opens a door for you to go into college, and you begin to, uh, to, get, to get a degree. And you get a degree, and you specialize in something, and maybe you go to grad school, you don't, or I don't know, whatever, and you begin to specialize. And, these, and as you begin to specialize and do these things, in the end, you look back and you say, oh, I see why I had to take those steps to get here. In other words, God makes things beautiful in his time. For those who are parents in the room, you understand what I'm talking about. You've seen children grow up in stages, and at first it doesn't make sense, but in the end it does. You've looked back in your life and you go, why didn't God let me do this? And then five years later, you look back and you go, I'm thankful. Some of you right now that are still in high school and college, you're going, God, I really want to marry that person. Well, when you see them in a reunion in 25 years, you will thank God that God didn't answer that prayer. God will make things beautiful in its time. See, when I went back to my reunion, there were, don't start laughing, I ain't even said it yet. <laughs> I went back to the reunion and there were girls that were thanking God that they, God told them no, not to date me because when they saw me and I was like, um, 
That's great. So it makes me feel good about myself. So I, I want you to say, God makes things beautiful in his time. So there are stages that we go through. See, without Jesus, things don't make sense. But God will make sense of it. Some of it we will not know this side of heaven. First Corinthians 13. Now we know in part, then we shall know fully as we're fully known. Some things we will not know. But when we get to heaven, we will look back and it will be beautiful and we will understand why. What was it? Was in the great divorce, C.S. Lewis said this, that um, when, for those that are saved, we will look back on life and when all the things that we went through were terrible in this life and the very pain of life, we will look back and we will thank God for it because it pointed us all to Christ. And for those that are in hell, when they look back over their life, they will be saddened by the very height of their highlight of their life, whether they had some big academic award or some big promotion or, or they got some athletic award and, and, or they, they got the, the husband or spouse or uh, girl of their dreams and they'll look back and it will bring them great sorrow because they will realize that they traded Jesus for that. See, only God can make sense of things in our lives, in the stages. See, with Jesus, we will see what God can do, even in tough situations. And the Lord brought Ruth to me. Ruth 1.16 says this, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And, and I love the finality of it. The finality. Your God, my God. Look, look, just in the next chapter, Ruth chapter 2 verse 12 says this, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly, uh, excuse me, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, when you come to Jesus and you take refuge under his wings, in the end it makes sense. Right now it might not. Life comes in stages, but it's okay. The, the second reason... The second reason why we don't want these stages to end, one is we experience beauty in it, and then number two is because he's put eternity in our heart. Listen, our lives are screaming. Our lives are screaming not to end. That is why we hate death right here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. Let's look back and read it. Let's absorb it. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Remember, we don't want some stages to end because when we realize what happened and it's beautiful, then we're like, oh, let's not lose that. Then the second part is the reason why we don't want stages to end is because he has set eternity in the human heart. He has set eternity. That is why we don't, we don't want to die. That is why our bodies scream against it. That is why we scream against death. It is not the norm. It's not the norm. You say, but John, everybody dies. Everybody dies because there's a curse. For the wages of sin is what, saints? That's why there's death. That's why there's death. But God, who's so brilliant, and he's such a genius, sends his son Jesus to reverse the death, to give us everlasting life in him. So though we may die, yet we still will live. See, the curse brought it, and we know it's not right, but the good news is that Jesus reversed the curse. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Look at this, Christ redeemed us from the what, saints? From the what? 
of the law by becoming a curse for us. He became the curse so we're not cursed by God. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Crucified, Jesus. He became the curse. You and I are not under the curse anymore. And I understand things get very difficult. Yes, I understand things get hard. So ultimately, you know, what are our lives without Jesus? I mean, how can we make anything beautiful in his time without Jesus? How do we want to experience eternity? How can we be happy without Jesus? Look at Ecclesiastes 3, 12. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. How can we we be happy without Jesus? How can we be in that deep satisfaction without him? How can we do good while we live without Jesus, like it said? Verse 13, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. How can we find satisfaction in our toil without Jesus? How? How could that happen? Because Jesus has reversed the curse. This is what he did. He begins to reverse our toil. All of a sudden, things begin to change. Uh, I'm going to ask Robbie if you'll come up and play over us. But here's what I'm saying to this. Like right now, some of you that are in school, uh, you think it is toil, it is labor, papers, and studying. I mean, unless you're just really into your subject, nobody likes that. Some of us go to work every day and we're like, God, why do you have me in this labor, in this toil? But see, what Jesus does is he reverses that. And he says, no longer is your, your toil your, your toil going to be under the curse. I have a calling on your life, and you are going to move into something and do something for me. Now, yes, many of us in this room will not move and make a lot of money. When I'm making a lot of money, I'm talking about millions and millions and millions and millions. Many of us will not make that. But that doesn't mean that your calling, your work is not valid. Look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. I shared it, but I want to share it. And we're going to end with this. Woo, this is good stuff. And I, I love Tim Keller for this. Genesis 2 verse 15. Before, before Eve and Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In chapter 2. Look what it says in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Here's what I'm trying to say. Everybody get this. God called us to work. I love Independence Day because I love our country and I love the freedom and I thank God for the people that served. I was walking in this morning and I was like, Lord, I really wish I could have served. But, but we need to be thankful for the work that God has you. You're in training right now, some of you for fall sports. Some of you are out there providing for your children. And you are in the middle of it. God has placed you. There's a calling. He placed, Adam and Eve were not created in the garden. They were placed in the garden. To work it and take care of it. Now go to Genesis 3, 17 and 18. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife. I think I'm going to use that on Lynette. Just kidding. 
to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Listen to what he says. Listen to the curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. I want you to see something. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through, what's the next two words, saints? I, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Notice he didn't say work. Genesis 2, 15, he called it work. Here, under the curse, it's painful toil. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you live your life the way you want to, you can make a lot of money, and you can probably get really famous, and there'll be a trail of tears. But in the end, it's going to be painful toil. But when God places you in a place, it's called work. It's not toil because what you do has the fingerprint of God in it and you're releasing the presence of God and people are moving closer to Jesus because you do what you do. See, toil is when you do for yourself. Is anybody tracking me? But work is when you do it for Jesus. He has reversed your job. John, I'm in a job. It is painful toil for me. Here's what I want you to know. Release Jesus' presence at your job. It'll turn into work. One or two things going to happen. Either you're going to get promoted or you're going to get fired. Hmm? Some of you are like, this is my way out. My preacher said, just release Jesus. You're going to go in tomorrow and you're going to start screaming, Jesus, turn or burn. Y'all all going to hell without Jesus. And you're going to be fired. And then you're going to blame me. What I'm trying to say is release the presence of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience. Speak Jesus. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Release the presence of the Lord. That's why Robbie is doing this. Robbie could be playing Cameron. All of y'all, all of the musicians, they could be playing for Jesus. I think somebody told me, Robbie, this. I'm going to put you on the spot. I think somebody told me, was it last night? Yes, I think it was last night that somebody told me. They said, would Robbie sing secular songs and go play in clubs and do all this stuff? And I think you said to somebody, correct me if I'm wrong, and I, these aren't the exact words, that you know that your, your ability to play is a gift from God and you can only do songs and play songs and sing songs that will bring glory to the one who gave you the gift. Is that right? Woo! That's called work. You think he loves his classes here? I know him. He doesn't like them. He doesn't even want to study. Sinner. I mean, I, I can say your mom's here. I can say those things. We, we, our flesh doesn't want to do what God calls us to do. You think I want to get up here and preach every Sunday morning? I just can't wait to preach. I can't wait to preach. People correct me on my English and they tell me how bad I do and they make fun of me. And this is, I just can't wait to preach, God. No. My flesh goes, do something for yourself, John. I'd love to have yesterday off. But you see, it's toil without Jesus. And Jesus has reversed the curse. What you're doing for your family, for your children, what you're doing at your high school, what you're doing at your sports, what you're doing in your home school, what you're doing at, your, at the new school, what you're doing is for Jesus. It is work. And those exams are rigorous. I couldn't do them. You're very smart and very intelligent. But you're doing it for the king. 
And God is going to bring redemption and change lives because of it. And God has you in that very place of very hard work for him. He's putting something inside you to do it. And it's a drive by the Holy Spirit. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. God is working in you. But you have to be willing to say yes to him. The curse has been reversed. It's not toil. But it is work. And you make things better than what you find it. You cultivate the ground you help people produce what they don't see they can produce because you have the power and the vision and the words of Christ within you but to do that we have to dedicate it to the Lord we have to ask God to move in us a satisfaction for him it won't happen without it I want you to know a proof that God is moving in your life is when you're deeply satisfied in him more than anything else you say but John that's not the big miracle I, I argue it is a huge miracle to overcome what we want and to love him and value him more is the greatest thing in the world and look what he has done for us it is when an answered prayer becomes the joy of our soul. It is when we take a step back and love someone that the world has passed by. It is when we hear the Holy Spirit's voice in the busyness of life. It is when we have victory over chains of bondage because we experience the love and grace of Jesus. That's what he told me to tell you. That is what it is to experience the deep satisfaction and joy of the Lord. And so today I just want to ask you, do you have that deep satisfaction? do you and I want you to be honest because if you self-medicate yourself in any other way you don't you know what I mean by self-medicate if, if working out for me becomes my self-medication of my identity and it's my only release then it becomes my God if if my job is my identity it's I am who I am because of my job, then that's my self-medication. If I, if I have to self-medicate myself by traveling or whatever else people do or partying or whatever, people self-medicate in a lot of ways. But I want you to know this, that when Jesus steps in, he'll change everything. Even your work. Do you have that joy in him? Let's pray. Father, I pray today that our heart's cry would be for Jesus. And, and, and I know there's some people in here that might be in a situation where they want some uh, of the strong uh, prayer warriors to pray over them. They might want to come and kneel and say, God, I, I, I need you to give me some satisfaction in my work. I need satisfaction where I'm at in my school. I need, I need some help to let you be that presence in, in my work, uh, to let you be my joy in my school, in my academics, or wherever it might be, or joy in, as I serve this way. Lord, maybe there's some people that just need some prayer in that. And we want to pray over them and I'm asking them to just come on and move forward while I'm praying right now 
just come on spend some time with you Lord and just spend some time just saying Jesus be my satisfaction there's no greater prayer than we can pray right now as believers in Christ and just saying Jesus be my satisfaction be my joy be it more than my spouse be it more than my children be it more than me wanting a boyfriend or girlfriend being wanting a big scholarship or being uh, all American or being uh, having a new promotion or whatever it might be you just be my satisfaction and joy Lord, if that's anyone in this room today, I pray they'll move forward. And we just spend some time with you. And then for the people, Lord, in this room that don't know you, where they've sold everything they have for you, just give everything away and realize they lived in sin and you're the only one that can save them. For those that have not been saved and given their life fully to you, Lord, my prayer is that today that they would move that way. They would see they cannot save themselves. They cannot fix themselves. There's nothing they can do. Only the blood of Jesus. That life would be meaningless without living for Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would move in their heart. They would realize the depths of their sin and the beauty of Jesus. And that they don't have to clean themselves or fix themselves or get themselves right because that means they would not need a Savior, but that, Lord, only you can fix and clean and make them right by your righteous blood. I pray that they would pray and surrender and give their life and believe that Jesus died on the cross and, God, you rose him from the dead on the third day and enter into the joy of the Lord. And they would let us know so we can begin to disciple them. We love you, Lord. This is our worship to you. Help us to be deeply satisfied in you.